Well, with that said, we turn our attention to God's word. And uh, in the spirit of church membership, I want to bring us to Galatians chapter 6. So if you would turn there with me. As we consider the biblical call of church membership. Here in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Let me read this for us. This is what God's word says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. O oh Lord God, we ask now that as we have turned our eyes and minds to your word, that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law, and that you would by your spirit impress upon us the law of Christ, the law of love as your church. In his name we pray, amen. Throughout redemptive history, God has always related to a people whom he has set apart and taken unto himself. Not just isolated individuals, but always a congregation of the redeemed, a flock of sheep over which he is their shepherd. Now, this is very apparent in the Old Testament, where God rescued the people of Israel from their bondage to Egypt and that they might be a holy nation united under one divine constitution, as it were. In other words, God did not redeem Israel out of Egypt for them to each go their own separate ways and live as scattered Israelites, minding their own business. But no, God gathered them into one assembled people, brought them collectively to Mount Sinai, where he enacted a covenant with them that they might be to him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this was God's purpose of redemption from the get-go, as he announced beforehand through Moses in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. God told the people of Israel, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. But somehow, as we come to the New Testament, this concept seems to escape us. As though all of a sudden, salvation and the Christian life were merely an individualistic affair with no regard for the corporate sphere of belonging to the community of faith. Now, this mindset is not from the Bible, but it's a product of Western culture, of hyper-individualism. Now, don't get me wrong. You are, each one of you, you are an, you're a unique individual soul before God. And as such, you must personally Repent of sin and individually turn to Jesus Christ by faith for the forgiveness of sins. No one can do it for you. And it doesn't matter how assimilated you are amongst other believers. You yourself must personally come before God and receive his salvation. But having been individually born again by faith, it is no different in the New Testament that the believer's life does not exist in a vacuum. But rather as a part of the people of God. As Paul says in Titus chapter 2 verse 14, that Christ, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own 
possession. And the New Testament verbiage for this people, God's redeemed people in Christ, is what's called the church. And it's really just a fancy word that that means assembly or gathering of the people of God. You see, it's no different for us as believers in the New Testament age because God is unchanging. Hebrews 13a, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in speaking to New Testament believers, the Apostle Peter reminds the church, you are a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Which means that just as it was impossible to be an Israelite in the Old Testament without belonging to the nation of Israel, so it is unthinkable and unconscionable to be a Christian without belonging to the church, being within the assembly of his people. Simply put, the Bible knows nothing of a Christianity apart from the church. To the contrary, Scripture always portrays the Christian life as being personally and individually lived out, but that which is within the corporate context of the local church. And so church membership, you see, is not optional for a Christian. Rather, it is God's most basic command to every believer because the church is the body of Christ. You can't be in Christ but outside of his body. That's self-contradictory. And so if you're a Christian, born again in Christ, you must commit yourself into the membership of a local church. This is God's command to you. Now, let me clarify a couple things at the outset, okay? First, this sermon is not some secret ploy to enlist more people into the membership of this church, Maranatha Bible Church, okay? We're not trying to start a not-so-subtle campaign to pressure you into filling out the membership applications uh, that we just announced if you're not a member here already. Because, look, our, our sincere heart is this. We want every believer that walks into our doors to commit to a local church. Not the local church, but a local church faithful to the gospel and that preaches the word without compromise. Okay, we don't assume that we are the one and only representation of God's kingdom on earth. That would be very arrogant of us. And so if for whatever reason this church ain't it, that's fine. You know, if you feel like, man, I can't stand the pastor. His voice just lulls me to sleep every Sunday morning and he makes me feel like I have narcolepsy. That's okay. Go somewhere else for your sake. We'll we'll even help you find another faithful church that you could be a part of and be a member of. But whatever the case, if you're not a member of this church, you must make it your ambition to commit uh, yourself to a local church, whether it's this church or another church. This is a matter of obedience to God. And so again, the purpose of this sermon is not to pressure you into this church, but simply to show the biblical necessity of local church membership in general. And secondly, if you are here and you're not a Christian, if you have not been born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you should not be thinking about church membership right now. Because your most urgent need is to repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior and Master. Before you think about joining the body of Christ, you must first come to Christ. You must first receive Him. You know, we're not, we're not interested here in just inflating our membership count and, and having a bunch of unconverted church members, giving them a false assurance of salvation. 
And this is why as part of our membership process here at NBC, we ask for every applicant to just articulate the gospel to us in their own words and share their personal testimony of salvation so that we can have some level of confidence, as, as fallible it might be, but have some level of confidence that this person has indeed been born again by the Spirit of God. And so again, if you have not turned to Christ by faith and been born again to new life in Him, that is what God is calling you to do, first and foremost, to confess your sin and believe the good news of what Jesus has done for sinners by His life, death, and resurrection. Now to be clear, If you're not a Christian, you are most welcome here every single Sunday. In fact, we thank God for you, that you're here in our midst. We love you and we pray for your soul more than you realize. And the day, Lord willing, the day that you repent and believe in Christ, we will rejoice and welcome you as a newly adopted member of the household of God and call you our fellow brother or sister in Christ. But until then, again, God is calling you to come to Christ, surrender your life to him before you think about joining his body. Because church membership is God's calling and gift and blessing to his people who already belong to him by faith. Now, as we think about this idea of church membership, we need to begin by asking, what exactly does it mean to be a member of a church? Specifically, what does God mean by this word member, which he uses in 1 Corinthians 12? And this is a very important question to begin with because we come with all kinds of preconceived notions on what it means to be a member of something based on our experiences elsewhere. And for instance, uh, many of you uh, have been long-time faithful, faithful members of the great kingdom of Costco. Y'all loved at Costco, and I did too, okay? You've gone through the membership process there. You're a formal member. You even have an ID card to show for it. But let's think about it. What, what does it mean to be a member of Costco? Well, first of all, you're just a consumer, right? You, you shop there whenever you need something. Uh, you can be a member of Costco and only visit there just occasionally if there's something that they happen to have on that particular day that interests you, that, that benefits you. Otherwise, you have no obligation to the store except for the, the small annual fees. I sound like a salesman. I'm not affiliated with Costco, okay? I'm, that would be really bad if I were. But look, your, your membership at Costco, the nature of it is entirely between you and Costco. And that's it, the corporation. There is no connection whatsoever to other Costco members. It's a direct consumer-to-provider relationship. And so the status of other Costco members doesn't affect you whatsoever. And this is a typical experience of being a member of something just in the world, in life, whether it's being a member of a gym or a member of a credit union, what have you. But the problem is that we import this definition into the idea of church membership such that what it means to be a member of a local church is often assumed to be that we're just merely a regular, a regular customer, a regular attender, uh, just a, a patron. Yeah, I'm a patron of NBC. And so church then becomes just a place that you go to get something out of it, even if it's good things, a good sermon, a faithful Bible teaching, a community of nice people around you to meet your social needs. But you see, it's a consumeristic definition of belonging to a local church and that is not god's definition of church membership 
Because God's definition, according to his word, is this. Being a member of a local church means that you have a binding commitment to each other. That you have a God-given obligation towards your fellow members within that local church and they with you. In other words, God holds you spiritually responsible for one another. This is biblical church membership. And it's made especially clear here in Galatians chapter 6. Look at how Paul writes. He begins in verse 1, brothers. Now notice here, he doesn't say pastors, elders, leaders. But he says brothers, brothers and sisters, siblings in Christ, all members, every member, fellow members of God's family. This is your responsibility. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And this is a command. It literally says, you who are spiritual, restore him. It's your duty. It's verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see, if you're a Christian, God holds you responsible for your brother or sister's spiritual well-being and they yours. There's no such thing as a Christian life apart from mutual accountability. We are obligated by God, commanded by God, mandated by Him to minister to each other, to care for each other's souls, to exhort one another, to encourage one another, to teach one another, and even to admonish and correct one another as necessary. And of course, you always have to do that in a spirit of gentleness and grace, as Paul reminds us. Never in a way that breeds a culture of judgmentalism in the church, wherein everyone is suspecting the worst of each other and assuming sinful intent in everything that they do. No, in fact, Paul preemptively dispels any thought of that by saying in verse 1, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, always look in the mirror first and never forget that you are a sinner saved by God's grace and you are no less prone to sin and temptation. You know how, how you foster patience with another brother or sister, even if they are struggling with sin? You know how you, 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 you foster sympathy in your heart and gentleness? You look in the mirror and you remind yourself, how patient has Jesus been with me throughout my whole life? All the times I have failed him, all the times I have dishonored him, that will keep you in check for sure. And that will remind you to be patient and long-suffering with your brother or sister. And that's what Paul's reminding us to. In any case, the point is clear. The Christian life is not just a life of keeping to yourself, being responsible only for yourself. But God has charged us with duties and responsibilities outside of ourselves, namely our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's so much so that 1 Corinthians 12 says that we are like members of the human body. He uses that metaphor. Different parts of the body that do not exist in isolation, but are intricately and inseparably interwoven as one bodily unit. And so when one member suffers, the whole body feels a pain. If you stub your toe, what happens instinctively? Your eyes react to the pain by grimacing. 
even though your eyes didn't feel the impact per se. Your nose gets scrunched and your mouth opens to vocalize the sensation of pain by yelling and sometimes saying uh, choice words. But this is the Christian life, you see, lived as a member of a greater body, bound to the other members of the body, as though we were knit together as one body through joints and ligaments, as Paul says in Colossians 2.19. Now, obviously, it is practically impossible and unrealistic to be responsible for every Christian out there in the world. I can't be obligated to bear the burden of some believer I've never met who lives down in San Diego or Barcelona or Zimbabwe. And that is why God has instituted local churches. He designed the one universal body of Christ to be expressed in many local bodies, local congregations. And so it is to one of these local churches that each Christian must bind him or herself to in the bond of mutual commitment and pledge their spiritual responsibilities toward one another. This is the spirit and practice of biblical church membership. This is biblical Christianity. Now, perhaps you might be wondering, well, why did God design it this way? Why did God mandate church membership? I mean, if God wanted, he could have easily constructed the Christian life to be purely an individual affair, just between you and Jesus without needing to involve anybody else. And because isn't, isn't Christ alone sufficient for us? He is indeed. And because he is, apparently there is a very distinct purpose for which God has ordered the life of the Christian to be in the context of the church. And so why then did God call us into the life of a greater body and design the Christian life to subsist and thrive within this communal environment? It's because he is at work to conform us more into his image by teaching us the way of true self-giving, selfless love after his likeness. You see, the church is God's means of sanctifying us from our fleshly disposition to be insular, inward-focused, self-absorbed, and reshaping us to be outward-facing, other-oriented, self-giving, just as he is in his nature as the fountain of divine love. Friends, that, that is the whole point of the doctrine of the Trinity in a nutshell. That God is one, one essence. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God, one divine essence in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that Although God is one, He can be and He is within Himself 
self-giving. God doesn't depend on anyone or anything outside of him to exercise giving of himself, but he can be self-giving within himself. As the Father glorifies the Son, the Son glorifies the Father, the Spirit glorifies the Son, and so on and so forth. So that God is mutually giving, mutually glorifying within himself. This is who God is, self-giving in his very nature, and thus the fountain of divine love. And that, friends, is what God is making us to be by church membership. This self-giving orientation is really at the heart of church membership. And actually, it's the very reason that people naturally dislike the idea of it. Because it forces us to break from the inertia of self-centeredness that's within all of us. I mean, think about the relational aspect of what church membership entails. Because by committing yourself to a local congregation, you are vowing to love every member within that congregation. And that's not always easy. You know, people often ask and object by saying, well, I have Christian friends that I see regularly. In fact, we we meet up every Sunday. We check up on how we're doing. We even pray together. We study the Bible. I mean, my goodness, it's like the same thing. So why can't I just substitute church membership with this? This wonderful fellowship I have. This regular assembly, as it were. Isn't it essentially the same thing? Well, it looks like it at the surface, but no, there's actually a really, really critical difference. Because the chances are, your little Christian friend group is comprised of individuals who are already your friends. People you naturally like. People you get along with. That you have a lot in common with already. Otherwise, you probably wouldn't have chosen to be friends with them in the first place. It's a self-selected group. It's an exclusive membership by nature. But a local church... You have no control of which Christians are invited and admitted into the membership. Unless you're a cult, that's a whole different story. A local church is where God providentially brings in all kinds of his different children. Some of them very different from you, but his children nonetheless. And he brings them in to join together in fellowship with their common Savior, Jesus Christ. And so being a member of a local church is a commitment to love all the brothers and sisters within that membership. No matter your differences in opinions. No matter your differences in personalities. No matter your differences in which team you're rooting for in the playoffs. Apparently we have a Boston Celtics fan in this church. I mean, I don't understand. Like, you're, you're on the wrong side of America. No offense. I would love your brother, wherever you are. But the church is a place where you, you think the best of each other. And you cover one another's offenses in grace and forbearance. Always looking in the mirror first. Always being quick to notice the log in your own eye. And to remember the grace and mercy that Christ has shown you and is continuing to show you. This is the church. And this, friends, glorifies God. 
The supremacy of Christ is magnified when we maintain the bond of peace and unity in Christ, no matter how difficult it might be or, or out of our comfort zone it might be at times to love one another. It's not meant to be easy. And that is exactly the point. You know, to all the members of NBC, if I can challenge you, look, you can love this church as a whole and, and, and love NBC and the ministry. And I know you do. And I thank God that you love this church. I see it in you. But you know, it's a lot easier to love the entity of this church, this organization, as it were, than actually love and put the effort into loving each individual member within. And you know, this difficulty of love doesn't have to mean that you have some strife or tension with another member that you have to overcome. But it's just that it's so easy on a regular basis to talk to the people that you want to talk to. Or to use shyness as an excuse to, uh, for, for never taking the initiative to develop relationships. Listen, I know that no one is going to believe me, but I'm telling you, my, my conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I am, me, I am by natural dis- disposition a very shy person. I know y'all don't believe me, but I am a true introvert. Ask my wife. She knows what I'm really like. Y'all think you know me? You all know me. My wife knows me. I'm actually very shy. And I have to put in enormous effort to give any impression that I'm outgoing whatsoever or to engage in conversation with people that I don't know. My goodness, no, no offense to all the cashiers at Safeway. I, I don't mean any offense when I'm not very talkative and I don't engage in conversation. That's just what I am, naturally. I know some of you guys see me on Sunday mornings and you see, my goodness, this guy's like a natural Ronald McDonald. Well, hello, everybody. No, that's, that's not really me. I, I am a shy person. I might be a fun guy, but I'm a shy guy, okay? But even if I am shy, when I see a member... A brother or sister who also seems shy. I need to put to death my own needs, my own comforts for the sake of my brother or sister in Christ. And that's why I do what I do. Believe me, if I can do it, y'all can do it. Even in small things like this, it is a matter of taking up our Christian responsibility. It's not... not, My responsibility because I'm a pastor. It's my responsibility because I'm a Christian. Our responsibility to do the difficult act of self-giving love. And the same goes in the spirit of Galatians chapter 6, the love of true accountability. You know, it takes true selflessness to run after other members who are straying from faithfulness to the gospel. It takes true selflessness to call them to return to the path of obedience to Christ and to seek their restoration with gentleness. Why is that a selfless act? Because, by contrast, it is actually very selfish to let a brother or sister continue to walk in unrepentant sin and just to never speak up. 
Because that's elevating your own convenience and comfort over their spiritual well-being. You know, many of us have been conditioned by our cultural upbringing to always just keep our head down, mind our own business, and never speak into the lives of others. And while there are good traits that arise from that kind of a culture, we always need to subject our minds to the Bible and have our consciences be retrained where needed. And case in point here, in Galatians chapter 6, God calls us to care for one another by holding each other accountable to God's commandments and providing gentle but clear correction when necessary. And I need that from you, just as you need that from me. Like simply put, it is not loving to leave your brother or sister unaccounted for. It's actually cowardice and hatred to just let them be. Because it is effectively to say, oh, that's okay, just, just keep pursuing unrepentant sin. Go to hell. Just don't make me uncomfortable. Do whatever you want, regardless of the consequences, as long as you leave me alone. Church, that is not Christian love. Again, like I, I hate confrontation and conflict more than anyone, believe you me, okay? If I had it my way, I'd just be carrying around a feather everywhere, tickling everyone's ears. But God has made me responsible for the welfare of my brothers and sisters in truth. In truth, bound to God's word. And to put their needs above my own fears and discomforts. That is brotherly love in Christ. And that is the God-given responsibility to every member. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I my sister's keeper? You bet. Absolutely you are, God says. You have family responsibilities. As a fellow member of God's household, to love your brothers and sisters as yourself, yea, even above yourself. And it is by this that God fashions us into his likeness. Hence, verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Well, it's not that it's a law contrary to the law of the Old Testament, but it's that Christ is the fulfillment and incarnation of the true spirit of the law, which is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And isn't this exactly who Jesus is and what he demonstrated to the uttermost? That he, though being God, didn't consider his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage for his own sake. But he emptied himself, humbling himself to the point of death on a cross, upon which he gave all of himself for the sake of sinners. That they might be forgiven of sin be made children of God and be brought into his household as one family that they might learn to live to reflect the glory and image of their father in heaven. You see, church membership is the means by which God conforms us into the image of Christ who is the exact image of the father that the law of Christ might reign and be manifested in our hearts 
and lives. There's a lot more that we could talk about. And this is just the appetizer. And if you want to learn more, that's what the membership class is for. But let me close with this. As you well know, here at NBC, we take the Lord's Supper as a regular part of our Sunday worship. And as I've mentioned in the past, and just by way of reminder again, the Lord's Supper is, at the heart of it, a corporate affair. You can see that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In other words, it's not mainly a time of just individual communion with God, although there is an important individual and personal benefit that comes from it. But it's not supposed to be just a little time for you to have your just me and Jesus time. But it is an opportunity where the gathered church, the church, the church communes with Christ as a collective body of his people. It is as it were, family dinner time as God's household, as His children gather around the table of the King and partake of that meal rejoicing in the great Father that we have and what He has done for us. And God designed it this way to teach us that as the bread and the cup are passed and we see, we watch our fellow brothers and sisters take those elements and partake it together in unison. What we see visually, the Holy Spirit uses to impress into our hearts. This is my brother for whom Christ died. This is my sister for whom Christ shed his blood. How can I then dishonor or neglect the ones that you have loved. Church, we are bound to one another in the bond of Christ. This is the household of God, which is the church of the living God, 1 Timothy 3.15. And how blessed we are to have been redeemed and adopted into the family of God and to be members of one another. And so then let us commit ourselves to the high calling of true brotherly love in Christ. And so glorify and please our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. Our gracious Father, thank you for your work of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son. That in and through the Son, we might become your sons and daughters and thereby siblings, one of another. Oh Lord, we pray that you would build up in us love for you and deep affection for one another. That in as much as we rejoice in the grace that you have shown us as individuals, teach us to rejoice in the amazing work of salvation you have done in our fellow members so that the praise that we render to you might be amplified with the voice of the multitude of your people. And we ask now that as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper that you would use this, just this ordinary bread in the cup for the extraordinary means of impressing on our minds and hearts the very truth 
of your gospel that brings us into your family and that you would foster within us deeper love for one another to the praise of your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.